0: I'm not comfortable with describing a contest in which I finish behind the opponent on the scoreboard, in any other terms, as finishing second. Nobody's gonna build a monument to that L-word in my presence. I'm Les Miles, and this is Les's movie. response from the first podcast. This is week two. John Wangler, Smacker Miles, Les Miles were back looking for a little punch and a little uh, fun from college football and Lifetime Tales. We're sitting at the star in Frisco, Texas. Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones and Jerry Jones Jr. and for that matter, Charlotte Jones all have in, in, in many ways affected my family and myself. I got Smacker Miles who's multiple sport and is an intern with the Dallas Cowboys. I coach the tight ends here. Uh, Valley Ranch was a wonderful facility. This is off the charts, this looks like, I mean, you basically can get a hotel room looking onto the field at the Dallas Cowboy practice facility. I mean, it's, it's spectacular.
1: Let's talk about this weekend. Yeah.
0: <laughs> You're ready to get going. Smack's so ready to get going cause she got she got work to do. I do. Okay. Should we talk about the Cowboys? Should we talk about uh, – what should we talk about?
2: Yeah, there was another big story in the NFL, and uh, it happened here in Detroit. Um, you know, with Cam Newton, after they beat the Lions uh, at home here, uh, he, um, he came out at his press conference and uh, had a very sharp uh, hat on and a suit and uh, some glasses. And then he proceeded to discuss uh, uh, some situations that had occurred the previous week regarding the female reporter and kind of his uh, attempt, I guess, at at trying to rectify that situation. Uh, Smacker, what did you think about his uh, attempt to try to clean up what had happened the previous week with that reporter from Charlotte?
1: Yeah, so obviously I already saw his apology and everything. So we're a couple of days removed from the original situation. But my immediate reaction was just, wow, I can't imagine being Cam Newton and getting to that point in my career without ever had meaningful football discussion with a female. I think it says a lot about the substance and the respect level that he's had with females that he's talked football with. And so in his apology, he talked about having two daughters. And I'm a forgiving person. I want to think that he'll be better, like he said in his apology, But I would just love to talk to him about 10 years from now when he's talked and answered questions from his little girls. And I think that we would find that his answer would either be that, yes, he's spent time explaining to them his life and his livelihood and what matters to him. Or he would say that he's not very close to them. And to me, it would be one or the other. So I know that if my dad had laughed at my first football question, our relationship would have never been the same. I would have learned that the 16 hours a day dad spends at work is something that I am not a part of. And when you're not a part of someone's 16 of 24, and then you put some sleep in there, but you're not a part of that person's life. And, I mean, Manny and Mitch, Trubisky, who just was the second pick of the draft, I've asked both of them football questions, and my brothers would never talk to me like that, and my dad has definitely never talked to me like that. Actually, when I was at my Longhorn Network internship, I would be transcribing you know, interviews or practice or whatever it was, and if I had a question, I would get frustrated that I wasn't understanding everything that was being said, and I called dad right away. And would say...
0: Now, this guy's talking about a nine technique, Dad. What in the heck is a nine technique? Now, tell me this cover two thing again. Is the safeties, where are the safeties actually aligned and I enjoyed those questions as much. Those are those are lifetime memories.
1: I can think of a lot of big-time players. One that comes to mind is Odell Beckham, and his mom is an Olympian, and his mom is a stud if I've ever seen one. And I've talked football with her. I've watched him talk football with her. I've watched his Instagram videos of them playing pickup basketball. And I know that if she ever asked him a question or that if any female had asked him a question, he would answer it and think nothing of it because that's the way he's been talked to by his mom. And another example would be Dak Prescott. He's talked extensively about his mom's critiques of his football and how much he thinks about her when she's on the field and that meaningful football relationship that he's had with a female. He would never laugh at a girl asking a question. I've asked him a football question and he didn't think it was funny. He answered it sincerely. No
0: question. I think the Cam Newton style of response will fade from our society very quickly because, first of all, there's some very knowledgeable women in athletics and in a variety of athletics. So I can't imagine that, uh, you know, that's... That would be that'd be just a momentary lapse, and I just can't imagine that he doesn't realize that you know he needs to make sure that he's you know on on base with the the people that are that are watching and and participating in his career just in a you know from the stands and uh, from watching him on TV. That those people, half of which or or more, are female. Oh, there it is, the whistle. John, you have a question for us?
2: Yeah, this one came from an iTunes reviewer. And the question is, what are the two or three things that you learned at Michigan uh, under 12 that has really helped you uh, most in life regarding coaching and relating to kids?
0: I always felt like Bo had had the team right in the palm of his hand. I, I felt like when he looked at the meeting room that he knew what I was thinking. There was never a time that Bo Schembeckler took the field where he didn't feel he was kicking somebody's ass and it didn't make any stinking difference who it
2: was. Hey Les, did you always feel by looking over on the sidelines and having Bo there that we started the game up 10 points, 14 points because of Bo and his motivation. He was that kind of an advantage, I always felt.
0: And he related the kids too, John. He knew 400 guys, who their families were, what their kids' names are. He had a nickname for everybody. I mean, that's just who he was. I owe a lot to Bo back Along those lines, let me tell you a story. I want to be a coach. Okay, now. Les Miles was not a um, household name. Les Miles, are you serious? You you want to coach football? Listen, here's what I want you to do. This is Bo talking to me. I mean, there's, let me give you about three things here that if you do, then you're serious. And if you're not serious, then because you really should you know, stay where you're at and make a pile of money in business. I had gotten a degree in economics, okay? He needed me to have some education background. So I was supposed to go off and get some education, which I did. I went to a junior college on my own dollar and got some uh, education courses. And then he wanted me to touch base with me at specific times, you know, call on this day. And I did those things. And then he said, okay, you report at this time. And I had stayed with him you know, really, since I've left. So I show up. I'm a GA, and I am doing everything, including getting the car washed, including picking up the laundry, drawing posters, and placing newspaper articles, back in the old days, newspapers, uh, on the wall so that the team would see what the, the opponent was saying about fishing. I'm there all summer, I'm breaking some film down, So I'm I'm working hard and we would go in there and we'd break film down as because they were going to be our early opponents. And so we were getting ahead, you know, of our work. I walk in the building right around eight o'clock and Poe says, where in the hell you been? First day on the job and you're late already. And I'm going, Bo, I was at the building. I'm coming to get dressed. I'm not going to be late for practice. He said, I just wanted to know, just wanted to know that that was the case. I was twenty, I don't know four at the time, three at the, however old I was. I still felt like I was a freshman. I he I still went oh shit, but there's Bo, and and he would could always rattle your chain if he needed to. Always, he had a significant heart attack, and uh, I had uh, left and did not tell him that I loved him and he was in the hospital and I wanted to uh, get in and see him and tell him that I loved him. And so I wrote him a card, I snuck into the hospital, got up to his room and, and Bo told the story. He said, when Les came in my room, I thought, oh no, all those times that I ran him, and uh, he's going to pull the plug. <laughs> And I would never obviously have done anything like that. But when Bo told that story, it just made me, it just tickled me greatly. I kind of had a talk with dad and I said, you know, the things that I've done in the last four years at Michigan, you could see that you were changing young men's lives. Education was going to be a tool that they could rely on for quite some time. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the fact that, that that a coach could make a difference in a young man's life and make sure he got his degree. I came out with a Bachelors of Arts or Science and Economics and it was an undergraduate, you know, degree. I got a graduate degree in football and in what was hard to do and doing it for a team and and it all happened under Bo. Bo and uh, Bill McCarthy.
2: We had one of the big upsets this weekend. Uh, uh, Oklahoma ran into a buzzsaw down there in, in Iowa State, and uh, they had uh, their hands full, and Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, uh, kind of got his. Uh, you know he had a lot of a lot of talk out there and and uh, he wasn't able to back it up this uh, this weekend there at Iowa
0: State basically as the game ends a a 30 31 point underdog Iowa State team wins the game on the last pass incomplete that Baker Mayfield throws the only audio that you can hear on the field as a field mike picked it up was an Iowa state player saying to Baker Mayfield so now who's your daddy and i loved it i thought i think that i think that if you want to get into the realm of smack talk the opportunity to have it put back on you is understandable
1: baker stays popular on twitter if that guy is working on managing his brand i I don't know how his positivity level is there, but his attention is widely accepted. I'm big time a fan of the responses of Smack Talk. I don't know that it's always smart to start it, but if you're Iowa State, you finish it. It's done for the year anyways.
0: No, there's no doubt about it, right? But I tell you what, there were some great performances the uh, Iowa State quarterback, Mike Backer. In other words, he was a wildcat quarterback. He'd step in for a few plays and play quarterback, but he was a starting Mike Backer. And they had lost a a quarterback uh, at at, uh, Iowa State and were playing with another full-time quarterback, but Joel Lanning had played both ways in high school and He was a quarterback, and they said they were going to go in another direction. He was a runner, not necessarily a passer. And he said, no, I'm going to stay, and and I'll play Mike Backer. I'm still uh, shaking my head about – I've never heard of a guy
2: going from a linebacker to a quarterback and playing both in the same game. You hear of defensive backs uh, playing wide receiver – But this switch, I've never heard of it before. And and to be able to pull that off and upset a Oklahoma team like that and perform the way he did.
0: No, you're exactly right. I mean, physical, eight tackles, a sack, and a fumble recovery. And then talking about physical play, he carried the ball nine times for 35 yards, and he was two of three throwing the football for 25 yards. Now, I just want you to know, that's, hey, that man's going to be sore when he gets off the field that day, and he should be. And what a, you know, if, if you're going to give him a, uh, a helmet sticker, John, I think that would be what we would do, right? He might get a couple. Yeah, he may, he may fill the half of the helmet just that fast. Unbelievable. Trem- I, I've never heard of it.
2: That's, that's, uh, that's one of the great all-time performances for a Saturday afternoon in college
0: football. Give me a zinger from the hotline
1: hi les so great to hear from you on your podcast and after listening to the first episode i was wondering how did smacker get her name it's so unique and i'm sure that there's a good story behind that one
0: smacker miles was the first born to uh, kathy miles and les miles and uh, she was spoiled rotten she didn't have to want for anything if her diaper was just a little wet, just changed. You know, normal kids, like the rest of our children, they would say bah, and then we would get them a bottle. And then eventually they would learn to say bottle because that's what you wanted. But my eldest daughter didn't really have to do that. All she had to do was use her lips to smack her lips and that would be calling for the bottle. And so she would, this is what her, her her call would sound like, basically, she was smacking her lips because she wanted a bottle. Now, how miserably spoiled that woman was. We're sitting with uh, Commissioner Greg Sankey, Commissioner of the SEC Conference, friend of mine. I uh, say that loosely because he could, he, at any point in time, he could tell the head coach that he was in trouble, and so maybe it's more a boss relationship.
3: Yeah. I need to set the bar high. Is it's, what you're it's, telling it's me?
0: Exactly right. So I'm I'm the guy that gets that gets stuck in all the single facets of of issues, and he knows me. In other words, he's sitting there going, "No, we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk was about a, that." I was
3: just going to remember. There was a meeting where he's like talking about drinking a gin or a vodka, and at the end of it, I like I don't know what he said, but. I think I got it.
0: <laughs> I, uh, I I can remember some of those. He never
3: wanted spring contact, so he and I disagreed on that. That's spring correct. contact. It'd That's be like correct. the wild, wild west.
0: Yeah. I just didn't want kids being pulled out of class in by fifty schools that 25 of which they're never even going to see. They're never going to visit. They don't even care about. You know, that was my...
3: (laughs) Then we were talking about early signing one time, and so I I was comparing it to basketball. All I was doing was like sharing statistics, right? Don't tell me about basketball. That was from Coach Miles. I I don't want to hear about basketball.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm all over early signing. I think it gets a, a segment of recruiting out of the way, and I've always been a proponent of the calendar that we have the what would be the first monday beyond the the championship weekend let's let's sign it then and who needs an official visit these are the same guys that have committed without an official visit why do you need a, an official visit prior to that that piece getting it over with and saying like for instance at LSU when i was there we would sometimes between 12 and 19 committed kids that would have the opportunity to then say hey I want to be there and recruiting's over this was back in the uh, yeah, when was, I was in the big when I was in the big 12 conference when we first where we first started formulating this this um,
3: model that's your whole podcast right what you talked about was the first, the Monday after Thanksgiving. Right. And that was I mean Tommy was in the room at Auburn, Tubberville was coaching when we kinda of came up with that model, which I think's a workable model. So you got you, you had a number like twelve to nineteen, I think the number was fifteen, right? Mm-hmm. Any program, if they got twenty five to sign, generally has fifteen guys, they were going there. That was their place. You know, they've grown up there. That's correct. They click early on. Mom
0: and dad maybe And then went. you're gonna
3: fight over the next ten, right? That's where the battle lines are. But what we've done now is everybody's in that mix. And I think the pressure will be, we'll see what happens, but the pressure is going to be to sign 25 early. That's where actually the basketball stats first started is you sign in in men's basketball at the early signing period, two-thirds to three-quarters of all the scholarships are gone in November. And that has significant implications down the road that we've never had in football. And, and, and I tend to think we're going to be more like that. So you sign three quarters. I think there's about – so there's 125 programs. You say everybody gives 25 initials. That's uh, roughly 3,000 scholarships. So you take 75% of those away, which is 2,200, 2,300. There's 700 left. And then you have the coaching churn. So are you going to let them out? Well, in basketball, you sign in November. You go to April. I want out. You work through it. But you're talking about four or five guys, not 25. Right and we know that all the scholarships are gone so it's not like you can just go out and reopen recruiting in a fair way Um, if it was kind of those legacy commits and we could figure out a filtering mechanism to allow those to sign i think that that resonated with me personally it makes sense i'm not sure you could ever get to what the right filter is lacking that i've never been one to think less information is better i always think having more information whether it's you as a coach Wanted to go see a kid, meet his family, get to know who he is, look at his seventh semester transcript, figure out what did he get on the ACT score in December, and then make the final decision. I think that's better. And what we've done now is we've said, hey, sign everybody you can, sign them in December, and you got less academic, less uh, you know information around their high school performance in their fall classes, and, and less time for interaction. I just don't see how that was a good outcome, but... We'll see. You know, people are going to get after it. And, uh, you know, young people make decisions. And, you know, what I'm concerned about, and I think you're seeing it rhetorically now, is the pressure around coaching changes probably ramps up. Because if you're going to go sign third week of December early, you better have people in place come December 1st, which is impossible nationally.
0: Really, you need to make a a determination of who your coach is going to be for that year, and it should be really – a part of the signing, in other words, this is going to be the coach that you will be with from this point forward. Say, mm-hmm. let's just say, an early signing date of, you know, November
2: 28th.
3: Yeah, and I think the other factor we've seen in the last two or three years, because I don't think you saw it a lot, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, has a lot more reaction to assistant coach movement. So, you know, assistant coach movement will happen some in December, but a lot in January, February.
0: Right after the signing date, the, yeah. with the idea that you leave it, your best prospects at the school that you were. Yep,
3: now. and now you got you've had seen a lot of, if you will, noise that hey, you know that's my recruiting coach, and he just took an NFL job or a bigger job, and I just signed, and nobody can, told me.
0: Yeah, some things you can control, and some things you can't.
3: Now move that signing back to December, where you've got a two-month window for all that change, right. and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, and. Uh, you know, to the extent that it helps, I'm open to that. I just wonder if we've really arrived at the right destination in recruiting.
0: So, is the the um, official visits that take place in June is that up and running?
3: It, yeah, this year was the first time.
0: How did you How did you guys see that?
3: You know, I, I look at I, this is where I don't think you can just separate one piece of recruiting from everything else. And, in fact, those who were proponents of all these changes said that we needed uh, a holistic solution. Uh, My problem is I think the holistic solution ignores some realities. Like a June official visit, you know, 90% of the colleges are on summer break. So you bring somebody in in June. And our own football student-athletes, we formed a leadership council, call it the fake factor. You know, you don't see what real life's like on that campus when there's – 30 or 40 or 50,000 students. Um, I'm concerned we've taken high school football coaches out of recruiting more and more, not inserted them. And then that moves you to other people being involved. And, you know, the, the net is our coaches are going to be aggressive in recruiting. They've always been aggressive in recruiting. And we're not going to sit here and, and, you know, feel sorry for ourselves. But I'm concerned that what we just saw break in basketball becomes a little bit more facilitated when you start to move further and further away from high school football.
0: Yeah, the, uh, it's, uh, we've always wanted to go through the high school head coach. The high school head coach then moves it to an administrative In other words, maybe the defensive coordinator or another guy is going to handle recruiting at the school.
3: When you look at what's happened of late, a lot of focus on June visits and December signing period. Another piece was to remove high school coaches from working college camps. And at the same time, we created more opportunities. I think there's a better structure in place for satellite camps as they know it, but we still don't have the right oversight there. Well, I I spoke at a quarterback club a couple weeks ago. I had a high school coach I didn't know was there come up to me and said, you're exactly right on high school coaches not working camps. So maybe there's a a handful of problematic situations, but what was happening was a high school coach would load up a van, bring a bunch of players to camps. They'd be seen. The the high school coach would interact with the college coaches. Um, you take the high school coach out of that, and then you ask, how do those guys get to camp? Who's going to do that? If if they don't have the money to do it and they're being loaded up and abandoned by the high school coach, who's going to do it? And there's going to be an answer. Yeah, you're right. And it's not a, an answer that I want to see exist. I'd rather we do more around high school coaches unless I'll tell you, I think, another piece where we make a mistake globally is playing a lot of high-profile games on Friday night. I, I just think that's a mistake. College our, football. Yeah, college, college football. Is strong when high school football is strong. So, uh, running over high school football with a whole bunch of made-for-TV games on Friday night because networks want them and colleges are desperate for attention. That doesn't help our local communities. It doesn't help urban settings. For high school football has been threatened for a number of years.
0: Yeah, they are. They, uh, <clears throat> so, how do you? How do you? In, in a broad swipe, how do you handle it all? And, and how do you? And how do you? go a little at a time at something as big as just the recruiting end you know the calendars changed the the you know and and to operate through one little you know segment at a time to get
3: actual change there's probably a lot of questions in in there which you know how do you handle the enormity of a job like this and uh I was here 13 years and was as close to the job as you could be without being in the chair and it was actually Mark Rick's last press conference at Georgia as he was, as he was moving on he said you know somebody asked him you were a coordinator and then you head coach and he said you don't know what it's like to sit in the chair until you sit in the chair and that's really true and so the first day June 1st 2015 I got nothing done because I was in you know this chair with this expectation and then I think over that next weekend, Mike Slive moved out, and I moved into the commissioner's office. And it's an office less that I visited. I can remember in 1998 when Roy Kramer was commissioner, and I was like, "Wow, I'm in the commissioner's office!" Right. And so you can imagine a little bit of a head game of the respect for the office and the people. We're sitting in a library. Where all seven predecessors of mine, you know, Bernie Moore, who coached at LSU, and actually, Bernie Moore is the one who moved the office to Birmingham. Nobody knows that piece of trivia. Uh, you know, Roy, an LSU
0: guy. Yeah, isn't that it nobody believes that? Bad decision. Bad decision.
3: <laughs> hey, it's free. It's a beautiful building, and that means we give more revenue to our schools instead yeah. of paying rent. Um, but you do it goes back to something we observed er earlier about making decisions you break it down and i've had to be really intentional about not letting myself think about the full scope of the role and of the issues and instead um, break down what i do um, in consumable chunks if you will and then uh, you, you realize, and as a head football coach, you know this, you better have good people around you, and you have to trust them to do their job. And uh, that's been a learning experience for probably me and them. I'm, I'm better at it today than I was two years ago, and I'll probably be better two years from now. Um, it, just saying, hey, you got to find a way to figure this out, keep me posted. Um, and then you realize in these jobs you're the guy at the end of the of – the, of the hallway, so if you're a football coach, am I going to fake the field goal and have the guy flip it over his shoulder and see what happens? You know, sounds
0: familiar. Yeah,
3: that's what I, I can recall. That um, you know, you're the one making that decision, and you know, you're fully accountable. And then, I don't have any good fake field goal stories as commissioner, but you know, there are plenty of them.
0: Thank you very much. Sure, for, for being a part. Uh, I. Uh, uh, we're, one of the reasons that the SEC conference is a a forward thinking fast moving on the edge of doing right things is because commissioner sankey so thank you for being part of less is more the uh, the, uh, the, podcast, uh, the the podcast the the with the mostest
3: <laughs> <laughs> thank you my
0: most memorable recruiting experience was Junior Seau. I was coaching at Colorado at the time, and uh, I had uh, recruited Junior out of Oceanside, and Junior had said that he was coming to the University of Colorado. It was was really a very significant uh, commitment, and I uh, really enjoyed him, enjoyed Mom, enjoyed family. And, but I had not had the opportunity to meet Dad. And uh, so I brought uh, Lou Tepper, who was the, uh, the defensive coordinator, and I brought Bill McCartney, who was the head coach, and myself. And in our roles were Bill was going to kind of talk about the direction of the program, and Lou Tepper was going to talk to his family and, and him about how significant he was going to be within the style of defense that we run. In other words, his skills being able to be really maximized by the style of defense that we ran. And my piece was really just to describe, you know, at certain times it's really fruitful for a young man to have independence and spread his wings. And, and, and Colorado's not that far away. It's an hour and a half by plane and it's just an easy back and forth. And that, that was my kind of my part to the event. Now, Bill did a great job. He just nailed it. And Lou Tepper did also a great job. He just represented, you know, the, the opportunity that we had for, for Junior very well. And Junior was committed, but he was sitting on the couch with tears running down his eyes. And I'm, I, I didn't really understand that. And so I was starting. I said, uh, Mr. Seau, and I started. And he said, you, you shut up. He said, you you talk too much. And I went, oh. So <laughs> I certainly respectfully did exactly what he asked me to do. And so I stood down, and uh, he told that son of his to go to USC. And you know what? Well, I, can't, I can't hardly blame him. He, he was right down the street. He was, had a great career. He did all the things that we would have done for him at Colorado, but he did it close to home and at a and certainly a a very distinctive West Coast power. I thought we were going to get Junior, but I think ultimately that was just exactly what Junior needed.
2: Well, uh, I had the uh, the uh, pleasure or misfortune of. Uh being in Ann Arbor and watching uh, Michigan State who uh, came in as a 10 and a point underdog to Michigan uh, proceed to beat us uh, there in the big house and uh, it was a uh, tremendous performance by Michigan State uh, they were very physical and they made plays and uh, they put us on our heels and uh, it was a uh, unbelievable performance uh, considering the weather conditions uh, there was a driving rainstorm uh, for probably a quarter and a half, and uh, it was a uh, it was a typical Michigan Michigan State game, and uh, for them to come in there and do what they did in Ann Arbor, uh, my hats off to them. And that was a well prepared team. Coach D'Antonio did a great job preparing them and coaching them, uh, and they came in and outplayed us uh, pretty much in
0: every aspect. That's sad. The. Uh, um... O'Corn was 16 of 35 and in three interceptions, and uh, and they fumbled the ball twice. And again, a driving rainstorm. In eight of the last ten times that they that Michigan State has played Michigan, uh, they'd won those events. And how about the last two times in in uh, the Big House, Michigan State wins. That's a uh, it's a difficult pill for me and, and the, the many that, uh, that love the uh, Mason blue.
2: It really is. And, and uh, you know, we did have five turnovers. It's very difficult obviously to win a game uh, with five turnovers, uh, no matter who you're playing. Um, But offensively, we still have not uh, found our groove and it's been difficult for us to score and get first downs and uh, protect the passer and, and, uh, you know, run the football consistently, um, so we really have a lot of work to do, uh, especially with, you know, coming up against Indiana this week at Bloomington.
0: Yeah, after a game like that, you really wish you had a bigger game, you know, But rather than the Indiana, and Indiana will, will give you everything that they, I mean, I've seen them once, they're not a bad team, um, saw them early in the year, and uh, but now, it's, they're, they're going to they're gonna have to get their, um, their swagger back based on beating an Indiana team on the road. It's not quite the same. I'd almost wish it was an Ohio State team because that would be just perfect. You'd get, you'd get mad, grind your teeth a little bit, and let's go play. But playing an Indiana team, the coaching staff's going to have to do a great job de- declaring that this team can beat you. And if you don't go in there with a mindset, we're taking victory, and this is what we're going to do, then you can make a mistake. And boy, you do one thing about it—you don't want that Michigan State um, loss to linger at all. You want this thing to be. We get in. This is Monday. We're going to show the film. We're getting this film behind us and getting a little bit of the practice, some of the the things that you can get um, accomplished on a Monday with a game plan, and then. By Tuesday, you're not talking to me about Michigan State. By Tuesday, I am kicking Indiana's behind the whole day. And so that's just the way it is because, because there will be a, a want to linger um, based on um, what just happened in this, in this last weekend.
2: I wanted to get one thing, last. I want to get your take because this is a rivalry game, and you can put all your cliches you want out there, you know, and it is right. You throw out the records; it's it's going to be a fist fight regardless. Whoever's favorite doesn't really matter. But this came off of a bye week, okay? This came off of a bye week after we had a, a dog fight down there at Purdue. Do you think how is it coaching off of a bye week when you're going to play your interstate rival? Do you think that makes is it is an it advantage or is a disadvantage? Because you know, you know the statistics. Everybody says, ah, you know, we like to play through, or some people, well, if we're, we're injured, we want to get healthy over that bye week. How, do you, how did you coach off a of bye week coming into a big rivalry game, and do you think it's an advantage one way or the other?
0: I have always enjoyed a bye week especially a little bit later in the year but if if i was playing michigan state i would have put that bye week right in front of michigan state and we're we're going to always play those buckeyes well or maybe you take that bye week and you put it in front of the buckeyes it kind of just depends on who's the most current threat in my opinion and uh, obviously michigan state and at this, at this point you, what you do is i've always felt like you got fresher I always felt like the coaches could put more time into a game plan going into the, you know, the the opponent that you meet after the bye week. And and I always enjoyed the freshness of my team, the regaining of health, you know, having that guy that's, you know, nursing an ankle that really rehabs it and gets it better. And then you have a chance to put some extra time in on game plan. I mean, you get that third down and, and, and short or that third down and medium, um, third down long that you want to really focus on and really, you know, have a great plan and execute at a very high level. Now my guess is, is that that rain, uh, isn't something that, uh, coach Harbaugh was, you know, just, you know, counting on and, uh, but you know, I think when you turn the ball over, you have three interceptions and two fumbles. I think it's, it's uh, it it may suffice to say that that rain made a tremendous difference.
1: Speaking of teams bouncing back, we saw a tiger victory this weekend in the swamp. And what did you think of that game, Dad?
0: I thought the uh, I thought the, first of all the tigers played a a physical game. Um, you know, they tackled and they they looked like they uh, were that team that would. Um, wear that uh, purple and gold, and uh, um, I'm, I'm glad that they uh, they found kickers on the roster because uh, – <laughs> I
1: thought that was so ironic that Coach Ogeron said this week, we do not have a kicker. We just do not have a field goal kicker, and I'm going to recruit one and then the difference in the game ended up being an extra point missed by Florida, and LSU made their extra points. So there, there actually must have been a kicker on the roster. I'm glad he managed to locate one in three days between that press conference and not when knock, they took the field. Let's not knock him too hard, but we
0: are glad he <laughs> showed up because they needed a three-pointer too. Hey, had, honestly, a-
1: respect to that kicker because if someone told me that they did not have a kicker on their team and I was the kicker, I would probably res- remove myself from the team. That would be it. Then well, he would actually no longer again, have
0: a kicker. Again, you know, a a a coach is allowed an error of, you know. Can a, you at ever
1: disrespect a fan's hot take? You, fan's, always gotta, you always got it. You always got to give the coach, you know, give him a break. It's fine. Well, he, <laughs> here's
0: here's the thing. He had three kickers on his roster. Okay, oh, but yeah, uh, I uh, we agree.
1: We yeah, agree on that. We yeah, did I'm think glad, he had a kicker I'm, on the team.
0: I'm glad, yeah.
1: <laughs> I, he, see, Dad's too, over here trying to
0: – You're too hard
1: on him. Yeah, smack, so I just smack. I just actually won that smack talk with Dad, just so everyone on here knows that. No good response there. <laughs> on a more serious note, I think that Darius being in the game, I think that they need Darius's concentration on college football – as the pro, as opposed to pro football right now. And I think that having him on the field in a key drive that was all the Darius Guy show in the second half was a defining time in the game. And so I think that that is a really great sign for them. And I, I do, I respect the fight. I said last week, I don't know that you bounced back. And the players came and they played hard. I don't think they beat what would be a quality Florida team at the moment. I think it was definitely – an average opponent if I'm being honest but I do I like effort and so I respect that
0: yeah and they they played hard they were physical I uh, I I enjoyed it very much Um, and and it puts them in good position it it allows them now to come into the Auburn game with a a victory and memory of victory and that'll that'll help them as they prepare for a pretty talented Auburn team
1: they still yeah we got to get a win at Guys, we have another big weekend of college football coming up, and I think Dad and I actually might be in Tiger Stadium this week for the 10-year anniversary of the 2007 National Championship team, and that'll be an Auburn-LSU game. And then I'd also like to hear y'all's opinions on the Red River game between Texas and OU and the Georgia Tech at Miami game. That's a big game.
0: That's a really big game. unless you're prepared for that triple option and unless you you know know what that looks like and have seen it and if uh, if coach Rick hadn't uh, you know really taken some two a day time or some summer time that that allowed that team to prepare for dive, quarterback, option pitch if you're not ready for that it can it can get you And that that tennessee team um they uh they had a very difficult time stopping that uh, triple option prediction. it'll all be
1: i'm asking a question there were two teams <laughs>
0: I,
2: but that's Let's what I'm it. trying to tell you. I'm, I'm
1: going I'm, Miami, Mark Rick all the way. You just like the colors. I love it. No, I like the colors. The U. I don't like the either you. of those teams' you colors. Go with the U whatsoever. Whatsoever. Okay, George good. The I'll,
0: take, I'll take the triple option. Style, I'll take Georgia Tech. I like right. football less. Georgia Tech correct. looked football very good And that that's not what you're and that's not what you're supposed that's not how you're supposed to play. When it's an assignment football game, you're you're mechanical, robotish, you're not as fast to the ball. When you're playing an instinctive football game You're knocking the tar out of it. That is the advantage that Georgia Tech has in the game. I think it's a probably a pick 'em more than you think. Um, The advantage should probably be Miami's at home, but I'll 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 stand on Georgia Tech. I I don't mind. They did look
1: good against North Carolina and Tennessee. No question. Okay, moving on. Let's talk about the Red River Rivalry. Which one? Which team? uh, uh, I need a prediction. The
0: shootout. Well, you you know what? It's easy to come up with a prediction. How about give me some, tell me what you think of Texas?
1: I think Texas wins.
0: Texas wins. No, no, no. See, that's the easy part. Listen to me. Oh, okay. Let me give you the prediction. Hey, Texas wins. No. Why does Texas win? I like Sam
1: Ellinger. I think he's a gutsy freshman, and I think he played hard and was a leader at the end of this game. And I think Texas has a great time in Dallas against OU every time they're the underdog. So I like it. Charlie Strong teams struggled a lot against highly ranked opponents and did very well against OU several times. So I like my Longhorns. Hey,
0: you know what? You got that's she's got skin. Sooner, baby. She's got some skin Boomer in the game. Sooner. You know what? She's a, a she's a she's a Longhorn graduate. She's UT. She's going with her heart, Les. She's going with her yeah. heart. Yeah, she's I, I with- uh, and where they they're playing this in the neutral site supposedly, neutral site. right? It's here in Dallas. Yeah, I'm with you, John. I think I think the uh, I think the Oklahoma team, especially coming off of the upset, has the great opportunity to look to a really good opponent and and, and define their comeback trail very quickly. I do they, agree with they that. They do not. They do not want to lose two in a row.
1: Their backs are against the wall. They have a lot to play for.
0: No doubt. I think Baker
2: Mayfield comes back strong, right, <laughs> and silences all his critics. Starts talking again. I think the more he talks, the better he's going to play. And I think he's going to have a huge game against
0: Texas.
1: I can't wait to talk to you about that next week. Who is, I your,
0: who is your daddy? I'm just telling you.
1: Okay, now let's Auburn LSU.
0: I'm buying the Tigers at, at home. There's in, two
1: Tigers. Huh? Two Tigers in that yeah, game. Yeah, but I'm
0: not buying those other Tigers. Those other Tigers don't count. I'm, I'm, I'm taking the real Tigers. I'm talking about the purple and gold. The helmets that are that are recognized across the country as the Tigers, LSU Tigers, and I'm going to enjoy the the company of a great team, that national championship team, 2007, will be there in that stadium, and I will be there with them. So, uh, uh, I uh, it'll be a, a homecoming of sorts.
1: I like the Tigers when Les Miles in that stadium, so I'm not against those LSU Tigers.
0: That's good.
2: Another I'm going thing. against them. <laughs> I'm taking Auburn.
0: What the I'm hell, taking, John? Uh,
2: You've been drinking? I'm taking, no, I'm not drinking. I'm taking Auburn. I think Auburn's going to go in there and
0: hand it to him.
1: I okay. think it'll be interesting. I, I, Auburn has know. a lot to play for and they're playing well right now for no, sure.
0: Yeah, you, I mean don't get me wrong, they're playing Auburn well. is talented. It is a uh, and they've yeah. got the a quarterback that uh, that Stidham is really playing well. They've they've got the the offense surrounding him now. They're they have the ability to, you know, make those deep throws, throw it underneath and, and they've and they've got him and the receivers in a groove and then they have really a talented running back that can move the football. Uh, defensive personnel that's physical and can step up and play but it's, it's just a very difficult place to play in that Tiger Stadium, the LSU Tigers and I, uh, I'm very I,
2: difficult I, but I, I haven't seen less, I haven't seen your, your, your purple and gold Tigers dominate yet yeah. I haven't seen them that's I mean they, they got all this wonderful talent and I haven't seen them dominate so I it's going to be a good
0: game Mm-hmm. No, no, I don't disagree. It's going to be a very good game, but there's a uh, there's some magic in that stadium.
2: No question. No question. But uh, stadium, you know, you, you maybe give them a few points because they're in the stadium, but I don't know. There's something. The way Auburn's been playing, they've been playing well. I, I think they go in there and, and uh, have some fun. That's my pick.
1: I do agree. I think Auburn right now is number two in the SEC West, and so I think that they have a lot to play for, and they'll bring their A game knowing that LSU is coming off a road win and coming to back to their stadium and it'll be a big game.
0: Oh, it'll be a big game. And uh LS, LSU has one loss in the conference still to this at this moment. And that's what if you're if you're if you're coaching at in at home at LSU you're talking about you know, we control our own destiny. We just got to stay, you know. It really is, you know, stay the course. And it's really just LSU versus Auburn. And and you win that one, you continue. You can you continue down the road. Well, that's
2: true. That's why I don't think
1: Auburn to drop it, though. What they know what
0: true. happened a couple weeks ago?
2: Was it Troy? That was in Tiger Stadium too, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: You know what though? They did John, not they the did not to, <laughs> they did not prepare against the team that they felt lose.
2: like they could be, to lose, they could lose the the game. I know that. You start to That's lose someone in the speak when that happens,
0: I'm just telling you. Yeah. We'll see. That's why they play the game.
2: Hey if That's LSU
1: wins it. it's because dad's good luck in the stadium. So
0: it's gonna be a, there'll be a great team on that uh LSU sideline. Mm-hmm. I promise you now it, it might be a, about 150 people, and in, including a, the 2007 national champions. But there'll be a great, there'll be a lot of great personnel on that uh, sideline.
2: Yeah, the problem, no less, is the best personnel uh, and coaches don't have any eligibility left. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a fact. That's a fact.
2: I'm just saying.
1: I would take that 2007 roster any day, any day. Those Tigers fought.
0: Yeah, well, you uh, you had uh, the likes of uh, uh, Jacob Hester. Matt you had Flynn. Matt Flynn. You had uh, Tyson Jackson and, and Glenn Dorsey and Ricky Jean Francois and boy, you had some you had some strong men. You had uh, Early Doucette. and uh, oh, there's there's there was a uh, a lot of fun being had in that team. Well, guys, it's, it's, it's really a, a joy, John, to, to have an opportunity to visit with you. And I have my daughter sitting right next to me in this particular episode. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, leave a rating and a question at the iTunes store. If you want to ask questions that we can get to in a fast way, uh, here's the number. It's 833-537-6637 or just call... 833, less more. It's nice to, nice to get together and discuss world issues and, and lifetime tales um, with great friends and family.
1: I can't wait to be back next week.
2: Me either. Just keep gay. Hey, just keep calling us back. We're ready. Let's go. Let's go, babe. You, hey, we're
0: just getting started. The